Hi guys and welcome to Deshaming. Deshaming is a podcast and movement dedicated to raising awareness about incest abuse, sexual abuse, and childhood family trauma. I'm your host Pamela Clark and I'm a licensed behavioral therapist. I currently live in San Antonio, Texas and I'm also a survivor of incest abuse. I'm happy to say, I'm, I'm elated to say that today I am thriving. So sit back, relax, and I hope that this podcast and movement prompts you to get involved and helps you on your path to de-shaming. Hey everybody, this is Pamela with the de-shaming movement. We are back for a new episode of our podcast. And today we have my very first ever in the whole universe of existence interview with another incest abuse survivor. Her name is Tori Cry. It's a beautiful Polish last name. I will not spell it for you because I will mess it up. She is 21. She's a badass. <laughs> She's in computational media at Georgia Tech. Let me let me hold and pause just for a second. She's in computational media at Georgia Tech. Thank you very much. She's amazing. So she is here to help us with our movement. Our our whole purpose of this podcast, the IG page, and all the other stuff that I have planned for us is to de-shame the victims of incest abuse, childhood family trauma, and the sexual assault that comes later after you've suffered incest abuse. It's a community-based effort. It isn't a one-person thing. So we need everybody to start saying the word. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. I'm <laughs> going to let my beautiful new friend, who is 21 and at Georgia Tech, <laughs> take over. Tori, you're the best ever. Thank you so much for being here. Go. Tell you so your story. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, so it started... It was, so it was my brother. I only have one sibling. He's two years older than me. Okay. And so it happened, there was like two main incidents in my life. It was not an ongoing thing through my childhood, which um, I'm thankful for, um, but definitely still has similar repercussions. Yeah, it's um, devastating. Yeah. Um, so it happened right after fifth grade. And so it was really interesting. I have this memory of being in like my mom's minivan. She's like driving me like, I was like right after like the fifth grade, like graduation ceremony and we're in the car and she like, like makes the comments like, oh, like your brother should like teach you, like prepare you for like middle school essentially. And like, like, I think that's like a very like reasonable like expectation or ask of my sure. brother like yeah, yeah. two years older he's about to go into eighth grade I'm about to go into sixth grade like sure like teach her the ropes like tell her what she's gonna like forget on the first day of school or like how to fit yeah. in um so like fast forward a few days um and how my brother decided to teach me was he talked about a game that was played on the school bus oh. and so this game was the red light green light game um, if you've heard of it before, yeah. um, <clears throat> but tell, people, tell us, yeah, just, yeah, just in, in case. case people don't know the red light, green light game, basically someone will put like their hand on like your knee or your shoulder. And like, if you say red light, they'll take their hand off. 
but if you say green light, they'll keep moving their hand until it gets closer to your genitalia. Um, so as soon as he put his hand on me, I said red light. Um, but then he told me like, put your hand on like my knee. And so I put my hand on his knee and he never said red light. Um, so I ended up touching something I didn't want to touch and I left the room crying. Um, and so we had a number of encounters like this where it wasn't, I think this was the hardest part for my parents in understanding it was that it was never physically forced. Right. Um, so there was just, just like this, I think it was maybe like over the course of maybe a month where this was happening. And because um, my brother and I were always like kind of together at home because it was over the summer, um, mm -hmm. I didn't have a chance to tell my parents alone. So eventually I was able to talk to my mom. Um, like we finally had like alone time and I told her everything that was happening. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know how much detail I went into it. Cause like, it was a long time ago. Um, it's hard to remember what exactly I told my mom. I think um, it's scary just saying it the first time. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm honestly shocked, like looking back that I was able to tell my parents. Um, yeah. I think that was actually, um, I remember in my childhood, I was like really terrified of telling them things I did wrong. I think that's just part of like, I, I have really bad anxiety. And so like my parents made it like really clear to me. It's like, you can always like come to us and tell us. So like, I remember like the first time I actually went and talked to them about something. It was like, I dropped like a pearl earring down the drain. And I was just like so terrified that they were going to be mad at me. And my dad was like, oh, it's no big deal. And he like opened up like the sink drain and got it. Um, and so I think that's what really built up the courage in me to be able to go to them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I say that because later in the story, they make many mistakes. Um, but even like you've said on past podcasts, like not all people are all bad. Like, right. Yeah. Person has bad and good in them. Right. So, um, they definitely not a hard thing to say. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to say. It, it really is, but, but it's true, it really but it's hard to say when you're a victim. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that I had the courage to tell them because they set me up for it, um, which I'm thankful for. But so I, I tell them, um, specifically my mom, and so I don't remember how she responded in the moment. Um, and because I don't remember, I think it probably, she responded well. Um, oh, good. Yeah. And so their response to it was to have a family conversation. So we sat down. And as a family in our living room, my parents and my brother involved, they basically said like, this can never happen again. Like this was very bad. Um, but that like, this is normal for children, like experimentation happens. And I think what talking to them kind of while I've been in college, I think their goal in the conversation was to make us feel normal. Right. Um, Unfortunately, in doing so, it really took away from me um, because I think Absolutely. my brother needed to hear that he was normal, but I don't, <laughs> and I didn't address his problem either, honestly. Right, right. Like, and you needed, needed, you needed to hear you were safe. Yeah, um, 
So there is, so that conversation wasn't great. Um, and they told me in that moment that like, we can never talk about this to anyone because there was, they had this huge fear that my brother or I were going to be taken away from the home, which is very fair. Yeah. yeah. Like they didn't want me to be in the foster care system. Um, but that was never communicated to me. So like, I even thought that like, I couldn't talk to my parents about it either, which was not their intention, but that's how I perceived it. Right. And so leaving that conversation, I felt just like, as you said, like really unsafe. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel heard. Um, and there was just so many things that my brother did and said to me during that time period that it just like those messages, like I still can like hear them today. So like, he was like the first person to ever see my genitalia. And like, he commented that like my labia didn't look like, like probably like what he had seen in porn. And right. And whose does, <laughs> Honestly, by the way? Yeah. Um, and so I just like, I had this like huge fear. It's like, man, I'm not going to be desirable. And so like all these insecurities that I never had about myself, like started at that moment. Um, and that also like, I started having eating disorders after that. Um, it yeah. started with anorexia, um, but it was, it was on and off. So like no one could ever really tell. Um, but then I, I became bulimic at some point, I think it was maybe in seventh grade. And so I, I struggled with bulimia on and off from seventh grade all the way to my sophomore year of high school. Um, it was really bad. And like, we can get into that a little bit later in the story. With yeah, yeah. We can have the bulimia <laughs> club next. Yeah, I totally feel you on that one. Yeah. Um, so after that, I just like, I started piling on everything I could onto my schedule so that I wouldn't be at home. So like, I think I was in 10 extracurricul 10 extracurriculars at my middle school. Um, and I just like, I had this, like, I needed to be the best at everything to like prove my worth. And so like, I remember there was like one semester where I had a hundred percent in all of my classes. And like, I was first chair flute. I was doing all state band. Um, and just like, I had like all these accolades and like, no matter how much I accomplished at school, it just like, it never felt like enough. And like any moment where I wasn't the best, it was just like life shattering to me. Cause it's like, oh my God, oh my God. Like I, I think any moment that I wasn't succeeding, it felt like I was almost going to be abused again. Like, I know that sounds really strange. No, no, I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like everything's going to crumble. Yeah. Yeah. hundred one things out of place. So it's like, and I think I kind of interpreted the message from my parents' conversation that it's like, I have to be on my best guard and making sure that like, I, because I felt, I felt responsible for the situation. I don't know what they said that made me feel responsible at that time, but I definitely felt responsibility for what happened. Um, so, and I actually, I ended up telling two of my friends in middle school that I was touched by my brother. They were young enough that they didn't understand what that meant. Right. So there was no, there was no follow-up on that. They were just like, oh, your brother touched you. Like what did he like, did he give you a hug? Like <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, no, not exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was really bad. Cause I like even remember 
I used to love to do like poetry and short stories and my my writing was really dark. Um, of course, you had to get it out somehow. And teachers started to notice, like I had a language arts teacher in my seventh grade um, who like she wrote and like she'd like read our like weekly journals or something that we like do creative writing in. She like made a note, it's like, your writing's like pretty dark. Like if you ever like need to talk about something like I'm here and she even eventually pulled me off to the side to ask me if I was okay. I just like, oh, I wish that I had like told her it's like, no, I'm not okay. And like on top of everything that was going on at home, I was bullied really bad at school. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, and so I had this weird shift where like, so my best friend and I, like the same guy in middle school, like typical middle school drama. My best friend, he started dating me. So then my best friend started bullying me. Um, and those are mean. Yeah. And so like my only friend was him. And like we had this shared Google presentation that like we would all like write on like a community chat kind of thing. And she ended up deleting all the slides. And she wrote on it that like me and my boyfriend suck and that like we're sorry excuses for human beings and we don't deserve to breathe air. Like it was really bad. She went in. Whoa. Um, And so, and then I shortly broke up with my boyfriend after that because he was Indian and his mom did not approve of me because I'm white. And like, I remember like meeting her and I like stuck my hand out. She like looked me up and down and walked past me, like would not acknowledge my existence. It was bad. Um, So I had this shift of like, where I didn't feel safe at home. So I was doing all this at school. And then all of a sudden at school, I had no friends anymore. Like I was sitting alone at the lunch table. So it's like, in eighth grade, I started putting more emphasis on my family because it's like, okay, time has passed. Like, I think I can maybe trust them, like start forming more like deeper relationships with like my parents and my brother. Yeah. And so it's about Christmas time. And I'm just like, I'm feeling a lot of guilt that I told other people that I was touched by my brother, even though I didn't go into details and nothing happened because of it. I was just like, I was feeling really awful inside. It's like, here I am trying to have like a relationship with them. And I like violated their trust. And I'm just like really loyal in that way that like, I just like, I have to talk about things like that. So I I tell my mom that like, I'm so sorry. Like I told two people, um, like I told them, I didn't give them details. And so like, I was immediately um, basically drilled. It's like, okay, like what exactly happened? what do you tell them? I think it was like out of fear. I just like remember being so scared in that moment. Um, and then I don't remember what entirely was said, but like, I feel like she told me that I ruined Christmas or at least I felt that way. Mm. Um, and I have like a recollection recollection of um, both her, my dad and my brother just like crying because I've told other people. And I think I was even asked to give my brother an apology. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, so, talk about <laughs> like sealing the coffin on your self-esteem, anxiety, worth. Whoa. Okay. Sorry. No, you're great. No, um, I don't know if I actually did apologize or not, but I, I remember that I was asked to. Um, but yeah, so I felt kind of disowned by my parents in that moment because they were just like so 
upset and devastated that I told other people. Um, and so I, I literally had no one at that point. It was literally, it was just me. And I, they didn't know this at the time, but I had attempted suicide earlier that year and it failed. Um, yeah, I was, I was in a dark place and I think that my brother saw how vulnerable I was because he started being my friend. And so we were downstairs playing video games and, and to this day, like, I just like, I can't, I don't play video games with people just because like, I just, there's so much, so much there. Yeah. It's, it's slightly a trigger. Um, like so there's some video games that I can play. Cause it's just like, it doesn't feel the same, but it's very few and far between. Um, which is hard. Cause like a lot of people at Georgia tech love playing video games. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to play video Can't games. Do that. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, we're downstairs playing video games. And I guess you could almost call this like a grooming period where like he started asking me questions. It's like, how far did you go with like other guys? Like, what, what have you done? Like, and then like he started calling me things like prude and he told me that no guy would ever want me and that I was inexperienced. And so this happened over the course of, I don't know if it was like a few days. Um, it definitely wasn't more than a week. But then like, at one point, like he started like pestering me. It's like, would you do this with me? Would you do that with me? And I just like kept saying, no, no, no. Um, and just got to the point where I just like felt so worthless and unloved. And he asked me, it's like, he told me if I would do one thing with him that he would stop, like he just stop it. He would stop bothering me. And so, mm -hmm. I essentially, I don't like saying like, I let him do that one thing to me, but like, you I wanted it to stop. Is I wanted it to that. stop. Um, and I don't usually tell people like the, the full details like this, just because I have so much fear that the fact that it wasn't physically forced, that people are going to be like, oh, well, you consented to it. And like my idea of consent has completely shifted over the years. Sure. Um, when I think just to comfort you, <laughs> uh, it was emotionally and psychologically forced and you were also, um, and I don't mean any disrespect to your parents, but you were also put in a place where it didn't matter what you wanted, that you were there to serve what was needed by others. Yeah. So, and I understand that fear completely, Tori. I really do. I really do. So you just share what you're comfortable with. I promise you, whatever you want to share, share it. Whatever you don't, don't. Oh, I'm an, I'm an open book at this point. All right, I go for it, girl. Go for it, girl. I just like, oh, I just think that people really need to talk about it. And like, I feel like my parents could have handled the situation so much better if they just talked to other parents about it or like their right. friends. Uh, but th they had so much fear there. And I just like, I think we could all grow as people just by talking. And I yeah, think that's why therapy is so specifically helpful because like, you go and you talk and you get feedback. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Um, but so I think for my parents' response over the years, that they see my trauma as just being in the moments of the abuse itself and that they can't see the overall picture. Um, and then, so we have this one event where he 
he molests me after that. Cause, um, and then I find time to be able to talk to my mom again. And my mom, unfortunately, I don't want to tell her story. Um, cause like that's personal to her, but she had a history of this too. And so like, it's kind of like that cyclical, like happens generation after generation. Yeah. Um, yes. And so unfortunately when I told her it happened again, she didn't respond well. It was, why did you tell me I can't help you? Um, I want to give you up to the state. I don't want to be a mom anymore. And it was just like, she was like, she didn't mean any of those things. Um, and I know that now, but younger me didn't know that. And that's what I took from it. Sure. Was that I wasn't lovable. Like here it was like, I've already like, my worth is at an all time low. And then it's just like reaffirmed by her response. And it was just, it was bad. Like she was saying that for, I think a few hours, like we were in Atlantic station going to a museum when I sprung it on her. Cause it was the first time that we were alone. Um, yeah. Oof. Uh, and then my parents decided again to have a family conversation where we sat in our living room and talked about it as a family. Um, this time they, there definitely was more blame on my brother in terms of like, they recognized that it wasn't like a mutual thing, but then they also, um, they harped on me that I could have stopped it. Um, and that I also had, I needed to take responsibility for my role in it and that they like they could under I remember my dad kind of excusing my brother's behavior because he's he's a guy right and he was like you're the girl you should have known better and I, I I remember him distinctly saying that and it's just like I was just heartbroken that moment and there was a period in the conversation because like we talked maybe for a few hours um where my parents just like needed to get away because like it, the conversation was too much for them Right. They literally left the house, like got in the car and drove and they left me in the living room with my brother. Like they don't remember doing that, but wow. they literally left me in the room with wow. my brother. And I just like, I just remember like sitting there, just like all my muscles clenched because I was like so petrified that something was going to happen. Cause like, here's my abuser. He knows I told my parents of our parents and we're ha we're like in the middle of this conversation and they just leave. And I'm like, Ah, thankfully nothing happened. Um, I can't even imagine the terror and how frozen and completely full of fear you felt. I just like remember most of that conversation. We had like this clock on the wall. And I was just staring at it, just like petrified. Um, but they gave the whole spiel again of like, you can't tell anyone because like. Yep. Yeah. Don't tell anybody because yeah. get removed from the home. Yeah, exactly. So you live with it, Tori. <laughs> so that was, I think the, the not telling anybody was probably the most harmful part of the situation, which is like why I'm so open now and just like kind of like tell all of my closest friends is it's like, I need you to know, like this is important for you to understand about me. Because like, if you don't understand this, you're not ever going to understand me. Yeah. And I think it, I think you and I are similar in that regard. I don't, I mean, I don't, I wasn't completely open about everything, but I felt like 
like if I was in situations with other people and they had started, I would tell because I really just needed someone to validate me. Like I needed, I was seeking for the val- the validation from other people that what I, happened to me wasn't my fault, but I really wanted it from my family. Oh, that's, you know, like, yeah, I'm sure you feel like that. Yeah. You felt that, didn't you? Like, yeah. it's like the people I really want to say that to me are, and I can't, so I'm going to tell everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel that. I, it's just like so funny to me. It's like that they're like, end goals like that. I don't tell it's like, if you really wanted that, then you should have like put me in therapy and like helped me get through this. Right. Um, yeah. And it's just like, when I talked to them when I was in college and trying to have a relationship with my parents, uh, they were always like, oh, why didn't you tell us that you were struggling? It's just like, how, how didn't you know that I wasn't struggling after this? And like, even, even with the eating disorder. So I was really struggling with it my sophomore year of high school. I had a really bout, bad bout of bulimia. And so like, I had this thing that happened and I was just like, oh my God, like my body's not okay. Like I was really concerned. So I, like, I talked to a friend about it and my friend was like, you have to tell your parents. Like, it's like, it's like you tell your parents or I'm going to tell your parents. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to make my friend talk to my parents about this. Like I'm, I'm going to tell my parents. So I ended up, I told my mom that I had an eating disorder and that like, it was bad. And her reaction was, did you eat that day? And I was like, yeah, I, I did eat today. Um, and she's like, okay, I'll continue to check in with you about it. And so then tomorrow she asked me like, or the next day she asked me, it's like, did, did you eat today? And I was like, yeah, I ate today. And then that was it. We never talked about it again. Um, and so I'm just glad that I was afraid enough of like seeing the changes that happened to my body that I stopped. Cause like even the dentist commented to me about it. Like they were like, they made like the sly comment. Cause like, you can tell like based on like the plaque on the back of your teeth. Oh like, yeah. Disorder. Um, when you're purging as much as I was, unfortunately. Um, and I was like, make sure like, even if you're not eating that you brush your teeth. And it was like a very clear, like signal that they knew. I was just right. like, Ooh, I was like, kind of like afraid that they would tell my parents, but it's like, also, it's like my parents know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Isn't isn't that funny? Like from what I was just listening to you say, your mom, it feels like your mom was frozen in her past. Yeah. Right. So she didn't didn't have the skills to, she didn't know how to do it. And so she, the default, of course, as, as humans, we default to defense, Mm-hmm. Right. So when she should have really been on the offense with you, like <laughs> really getting you the help you needed, but she didn't know how to do that. And I think part of the reason is because we don't talk about incest abuse yeah, and the layers of it. And so I think I feel, I feel for your mom, I feel deeply for you, but <laughs> I also feel for your mom too, in, in that she, it's evident she is not healed from what happened to her. That's what I think. And like, I even told her once on when I was in college at this point, because like we didn't, we didn't start talking about what happened in my childhood again until I was a senior in high school. Um, And at that point, I had gone to the um, ER for um, a panic attack 
Like I thought I was having a heart attack. I just had like a panic attack that was that severe that oof, an ambulance came to get me. Cause like, I just like wasn't breathing um, and gave my parents a heart attack and <laughs> in, in the whole process. Cause they, they do love me very, very deeply. Sure, I think yeah. that's why I've tried so many times to have a relationship with them is because I can see how much they care for me, even though at the same time, they're hurting me so much. Um, right. Um, which is, they don't want to be hurting me. Um, so it's like always like, it's exactly. hard juggling that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That juxtaposition of, you know, two people who don't have the skills to handle what's going on and they have two children in front of them yeah. Two that. And that's the thing is that's the difference from date rape and outside rape and is the conflict, the layers and all of it are so complex that there isn't one answer, but we have to address it. We have to, it has to heal. And I'm not talking about just the victims. We have to work and break the cycle yeah. of, of the abusers as well. Wow. Okay. So when you finally, when did you finally get the um, eating disorder under control? I, um, after that really bad bout sophomore year, I was just so terrified of like what was happening to my body that I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore to myself. And so I somehow managed to stop on my own. I don't know how, (laughs) honestly, um, I, I did not have, there was no one supporting me in that. I, I just was so terrified and I was like, no one's going to be here for me. So I have to show up for myself preach um and that's been like the biggest thing I've learned through all of this it's just like I feel like all my self-worth was taken away and that I've had to learn how to advocate for myself because it's never felt like I've had someone to advocate for me right Um, which is hard because I think that's a big thing you look to your parents to do is like be your advocate and they just weren't able to provide that kind of support for me yeah Um, but that being said, they, they were great in other ways. Um, like I did this 3D printed flute research project my senior year of high school at Georgia Tech. Um, and like my dad bought a 3D printer. Like they were always there supporting me financially. Um, it just, it sucked that I was pouring myself unhealthily into all these like extracurriculars and being like, the best I possibly could be at literally anything that came across my way opportunity wise. Like that was a result of me being molested. Um, and so it's like almost in like a way it felt like they were supporting my incest abuse. Like they were waiting for me to burn out. Like they told me that like they were waiting for me to just be like so exhausted from everything that I put on my plate between APs and just like being so competitive with flute and just like the research that like they were waiting for me to burn out and for them to like help me at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, But that they just like never wanted to hold me back because I just like had so much motivation and I just like, I wish the motivation was coming from a different place within. A healthier balanced place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard, I think. And you know, it, it, all of that just goes back to um, what Dr. Lopez said to me nobody's all bad, which the first time he said that I wanted to punch him in the face Uh, (laughs) because I, you know, you and I talked about this earlier. I needed 
my abusers to be bad, completely bad. And um, it's just not the case, sadly. And also it's, it's hard on the people, other members of the family to be in the middle of all of that. Like it's a mess. And, you know, it sounds like, yeah. And it's hard because generally the victims are the ones who take on the role of trying to heal all of that for everybody and yeah (laughs) the responsibility of like like my parents like they definitely did not like there's no playbook on this and like talks about it totally understandable why they didn't have the skill set and the resources to be able to deal with it but they would always be looking to me when we started trying to handle it as a family like what do we do and that's just so much pressure it's like here I am trying to like figure myself out and like deal with my trauma and now they're asking me to like figure out their piece for them too. And it's, it's a lot. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. So what's your relationship like now with your, with your family currently? Like, Yeah. Uh, so I'm estranged from my, my family, which is a newer thing. Um, and I think there's just been so much that's happened in college, honestly, because I, the first person I told outside of my family was um, I had this best friend in high school who was two years older than me and he went away for college and he came back and he was like, Tori, like every time I come back to Atlanta, like I fall in love with you again. Um, yeah, very sweet. Uh, he was dating someone else at the time when he told me that though. <laughs> nice. Yep. <laughs> we That's love so sweet. It. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, Oh, man. Yeah. Um, But no, we actually, we ended up starting to date. But before we started dating, because I realized since we had that history of being friends that like, this could be something really serious that I I wanted him to know what he was walking into. So like, you're going to absolutely like not want to date me after I tell you this was like, I thought I was this terrible person, like not lovable. And so it's like, you're not you're not going to want to date me once you know. And so like, he thought that like I murdered someone. <laughs> um, I have telling him, it's like, no, my, my brother molested me. <laughs> like, um, yeah. and so he was like, Oh, that's it. <laughs> and like, I kind of hate that response. Me too. Um, at the moment it was, it was like really refreshing as in like, Oh my God, like it's not a deal breaker and it's not this big thing. But it, it was that, it was a big thing. Um, it's huge. That, yeah. But that's not to discredit um, my, we're no longer dating. We dated for three years. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, that's, ooh. <laughs> but that anyway, another podcast? <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but no, he was, he was super supportive. Like that first year and a half we were dating, um, and I think a lot of that came from, it was an unhealthy relationship. He needed to be someone's savior. Like that was a pattern for him in relationships is that he needed to save someone. And so he felt like he was saving me for a while. And granted, he kind of was. Um, I was codependent and I needed someone in my life to tell me I was okay. And he was that person. Because um, my parents at numerous points in time, they had offered therapy or I guess they offered therapy two points. Um and I, I took them up on it. And then they told me, no, you can't do this because we're afraid that your therapist will report like what happened and that 
your brother will be like taken away or sent to um, juvie. So I never got therapy until I went to college. So when I started my freshman year at Georgia Tech, I went to therapy for my my, my first time ever and started talking about it. Um, And I kind of cut my parents out of my life at that point. Um, Not like officially and not entirely. Like I would still like text them occasionally here and there, but there was like, I was not responding to most of their texts, um, was not going home to visit them. And so like, that was something even like my neighbors commented to my parents about, they're like, oh, why is, why do we never see Tori's car? Like in the driveway? Like, why isn't she coming back? Like she's just in Atlanta. My parents live in Marietta. So they're very close. It's a yeah. drive. Um, and so I just like, once I was able to finally leave, it's like I had been a victim up until I left the house because the house had so many negative feelings for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just, and just like that, it's just like every time I went there, it's like I could feel the trauma again. So like going home was this huge thing. It just like felt so unsafe to me. And that's something that they just like could not understand because they're like, oh, but you were safe all these years. Like you you were never unsafe. And it's like, oh, the, those moments happen, but like your brother would never do that again. And I remember like even- But um, he did. <laughs> yeah, but he did do it. Yeah, um, and I remember because, I don't know, I think it's just like how my brain works. It's just like, oh, I was molested like right before sixth grade and then in eighth grade, that's like a two year gap. So I was like waiting in high school. It's like my sophomore year of high school, like at that two year gap point, I was like, oh my God, am I going to be molested again? I just like remember being so anxious. And then like, after I got past that year, I was like, 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 yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, So, and also going home, like he, so he was two years older than me and he graduated. um, And so he was out of the house for my junior and senior year, but I still didn't feel safe, like really being at home. So I wasn't really at home. Like there'd be nights that I was out with like, marching band and robotics and so I wasn't getting home until like 10 11 p.m at night but then like sometimes I'd hang out with friends so I wouldn't be home until 2 a.m and like my parents wouldn't notice and that's because they trusted me so much Um, but like I think I wanted them to notice I wanted them to say something yeah Um, I even like chopped all my hair off at one point (laughs) like I had super short haircut and like my parents were like oh she's just super cool and it was like I mean part of it was like super cool but (laughs) you just wanted to be noticed you wanted to be protected you know I think when I hear you say that you were staying out till two in the morning in high school and they didn't know you were going to stay out till two in the morning that's a cry for help that's a please pay attention to me anything you know like and I don't I'm not faulting your parents again but I on the outside I can see all the cries for help Mm -hmm. the the bulimia the anorexia the overachieving, the massive overachieving, you <laughs> yeah. know, the everything. And I find that really interesting that they said, but you were safe all those years. It wouldn't happen again. When it did, you told, you were quieted and it happened again. You were quieted again and not only quieted, they walked out of the house. Yeah. That's a painful thing. And I don't think that people fully comprehend the impact that one moment has on a survivor to have the courage to be able to say that to your parents when you had already been shot down two years before. 
Yeah. You're waiting for that embrace, that you're okay moment. It's okay. And they left the house, which I understand if I, if I walk outside of it again, and I'm just looking inside, I understand them. I don't think it was that they didn't love you and didn't want to protect you. It's a really overwhelming feeling yeah. to hear that your child has been hurt by your other <laughs> yeah. child. Like you've produced these people in this world you're supposed to protect. I understand that's a lot, but I, that's why we have, and then to say, I'm going to let you go to therapy, but no, wait a minute, because I've still got to protect this one. Mm -hmm. The complexities of all of that are so deep. When had you been raped, molested, anything by someone outside the home, the steps would have been so clear cut. They would have hugged you. They would have cried. Therapy, charge (laughs) brought. You know what I mean? Like, but because it is incest abuse, it is such a layered creature for everybody to deal with. Man, so how are they reacting to you not being involved with them anymore? Uh, They're not. So, um, because freshman year, I had that period where we weren't talking, um, but then I ended up going to therapy with them. We had good, good. one or two therapy sessions together um, over the course of a few years. Because um, my dad was very anti-therapy. Um, he was born in Poland. That's like very big on like not talking about emotions, did not believe in therapy or antidepressants or anything like that. Um, so him just being able to go to therapy was a huge stepping stone. I was, I was so proud of him, honestly. Like I'm still proud of him doing that. Um, but essentially, um, oh, I'm trying to remember what happened. Cause like we just had so much. Cause there was a time period where like, there was like a month where my dad just like wouldn't talk to me. And I think, oh, I remember what happened. Okay. So I wasn't talking to them much, but like I was keeping in contact, like so that they would know I was safe and stuff. Um, and then I ended up (laughs) visiting my ex-boyfriend and he, he was going to school in Florida. So I like drove eight hours with the car (laughs) and like my parents were not for that, (laughs) did not tell them, got a speeding ticket on the way back. This is your parents' car? It, It was my car that they, I was lucky and fortunate enough that they bought me a car. Okay, okay, okay. I was just making sure. But they weren't down with you, like, driving to Florida. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they did okay. not want me driving to Florida. So I come back, and I have a speeding ticket. I'm like, oh, no, I have to tell them. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I told them that I have to have this serious conversation with them. And for <laughs> while the conversation started as me talking about the um, the ticket that I got, I ended up talking to them about, like, I wasn't sure what kind of like relationship I want to have with them, like, because it just like, hasn't been healthy. Um, and so that's, I think that's, that's what spurred my dad for not like talking to me for like a month. Um, Cause he was just like really hurt that I was considering not having a relationship with them. Um, yeah. Which is understandable. <laughs> um, I did not handle that well. I was kind of like all over the place with emotions. Well, sure. Um, that's understandable completely though. Um, so then I continued in therapy and then started working on having a relationship with them. I had a therapy session with my mom 
And then at that point, I switched therapists after that, because while that therapy session with my mom went well, after that point, my therapist, it felt like she was taking my mom's side a little bit because she was also a mom. And I think like, it was just like hitting her a little too close to home with like her having kids and like, yeah. So I switched therapists. Um, and then that, that was, I've loved my therapist ever since. She's great. Yay. Um, and I have not had that issue. Like I, I was so worried when my parents came in that like, it would feel like she was taking their side. Um, and like we, that's, that has not happened. Um, so my parents and I, yeah, we went to therapy together and I think it's big... feel a bit like you're in a tornado right now. A little bit. I'm like trying to remember everything that's yeah. happened. It's just like, it feels like we've kind of had the same thing happen over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we go to therapy together and like. And I think what I just, the only reason I brought that up is one of the things I wanted to point out is when you, when you're involved in an ongoing abuse as a kid and whether or not he was physically doing this to you every day it was ongoing yeah you know the impact of it was ongoing the emotional part of it when you talk about it I find and I've seen with other survivors and thrivers is that it gets really um like a tornado in your head so trying to put it together in words because of all the emotions come back up is difficult even if and to put together a timeline you're like what? <laughs> do you know what I mean do you, do yeah it, yeah that's what I thought like it's that feeling like I don't know what happened next but I know how that shit felt <laughs> like, you know what I mean like it's yeah. yeah it's that and I just I could see it on your face so I wanted to point that out for people that are listening it isn't easy to put this together it's not it's not as simple as saying here's my timeline here's what happened and this happened this day and this it's not that easy it's 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 so complex of an of an animal that because these are the people who birthed you <laughs> this is your tribe you were supposed to grow up with and learn to be safe so there's all these conflicting emotions and boundaries and so i just wanted to point that out that Oh yeah, boundaries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The pauses that people are hearing because they can't see your beautifully cute face that I can see right now is is that's what it is. It's that tornado that she because you're feeling the emotions and through therapy, I'm sure you don't you're not feeling them as intensely oh, as yeah. you did, but they're there. I mean, they just you know just like the good emotions are still there. <laughs> think about great things. The trauma, the emotions are still there. So I just want to point that out for everyone listening. It's difficult to do this. It, it's difficult to put this all together to help other people. All right, go, go, Tori, go. Okay, yes, I'm remembering <laughs> parts of the timeline are coming back. I'm rejogging the memory. Um, so freshman year, I decided, so the guy I was dating, I went and I spent the holidays with him because the holidays were always a pain point for talking about... Um, like my brother he he always went to the holidays with my family and I at this point had made the decision it's like I don't have to have a relationship with my brother I'm right. not going to have one because he he apologized to me once um and when he apologized to me I think I was maybe a freshman in high school and he told me like I'm really sorry for like what I did to you but you're attractive so you can't be my sister. 
Like he, he told me he, he was sexually attracted to me, so I could not be his sister. Um, wow. That was, that was a terrifying moment. I was like, oh no, this is going to be it. I'm going to be molested again. Um, yeah. Thankfully it was not. Um, but so holidays have always been a scary thing just because like, I don't want to have to be in his presence. And over the time, the few years that I've been in college, there's been moments where he has either showed up and I've had to be in his presence without kind of wanting to be, or like I've, like I've set boundaries with my parents and like the boundaries, like I crossed them because I knew it would make them happy, but then it just like hurt me so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so did holidays with um, boyfriend at the time and I got a card in the mail from my grandma and the card, cause my birthday's um, in December. And it said like, happy birthday. Like, I hope you have a great one, but like, you're a really shitty daughter for like not going home for the holidays. And I was just like, oh, and it was like, remember where you came from. And like that part really stuck. Oh, I'm so enraged right now. <laughs> like she, she did not know what happened to me at that point. Cause like okay. I hadn't told anyone. It, the yeah. only people that knew up to that point were a, cl- a few close friends, my um, parents and my brother, obviously. And then my boyfriend. And so I remember I called my mom I'm like, I had gone over sobbing. Cause like, I was just like, this was like my favorite family member. And I was just like heartbroken. Cause like, I thought the world of her and like, here she is just like wishing me happy birthday, but it's like, eh, you suck. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so I remember I called my mom and I was like, I, I really want to tell her, like, I, this isn't fair to me. Like I, she doesn't understand. Like if she knew, like, she wouldn't be saying these things. And like, I shouldn't have to be shouldering the responsibility of not showing up for holidays because I don't feel safe. Right. So my mom, while she tried to convince me not to tell, told me it was my choice. Um, and so that was really awesome of her to let me, to let me tell. Hey, mom. Saying, like, let me tell, because it's like, I shouldn't have to ask for permission. And that comes up later in my story too. Um, so I tell, I tell my grandma, um, like I, sh- I got flown out to Indiana over winter break. Um, cause that's where she lived at the time. And I told her what happened and she was like, oh, like I kind of gave her like the rundown and she was like, oh, those are a lot of like red flags and like, not good. Like, I don't understand like why that happened. Um, but she, she was supportive. Um, and she was like, this is a safe space. Like if you need somewhere to come, um, and what soft was like, I was looking so much for like that kind of like parental figure in my life. Someone who would just like, I don't want to say love me unconditionally. Cause like, I think my parents love me unconditionally for the role in which I am in their life. They love me unconditionally as their daughter. That's a great way to say that. That's great. Beautiful. Um, I don't think that they love me unconditionally for who I actually am. Um, and that's, that's definitely shown up. Um, and so fast forward a year, um, sophomore year of college for holidays, I really wanted to, I wasn't very fond of my boyfriend's family because um, they, they weren't very fond of me, frankly. <laughs> like I showed up and like, 
the mom didn't like what I was wearing. So she took me shopping, which was like a nice gesture, I guess. It's like, oh, she wants, and like, that's also something that she did with her daughter. And so I was like, okay, like I shouldn't take this too personally. Um, but like the dad ended up warning the boyfriend um, saying that like, are you serious about this girl? And he was like, well, yes. Like we've been dating for two years at that, at that point. And the dad was like, oh, well, I have to warn you three things about her. It's like one, she's fat. So she's just going to get fatter. No, suck it, dad. <laughs> uh, <coughs> which was just like really bad for me. Cause like the boyfriend relayed this back to me and he really shouldn't have like knowing my like eating disorder history. It was, oh. And he told me at dinner and he expected me to finish my meal after that. And I was just right. like, I was like, oh, that's a lot that you're asking. Did I ask, was dad then? <laughs> dad was, dad was a Harvard football player. Um, yeah, that'll so do it. Like, You're eager. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, like, I wouldn't call him thin, but he was, for his age, he was in shape. Um, I mean, not that that matters. Yeah. I, but, it, you know, the little... I get so annoyed with men and the whole, well, I had my little rant on the Instagram page of please shut up about the way I look. It's none of your business for men. Like just shut up. Just just shut up. Like he, that's a horrible thing. Okay. I'm going to be quiet about the Carver dad. (laughs) I'm also like, not like, it I doesn't matter. It's like, it doesn't matter what size I am. I'm also average. Like his family was like really skinny. Um, very very waspy uh probably made them all work out together and (laughs) um it's like I go running every day like we feel (laughs) thank you right and see the thing is I think what's more annoying about that is that it's why does that matter yeah it's like yet again like your you know your whole your whole life my I feel like mine too is (laughs) is all about what you offer to people physically you know your brother is like oh you're so this this and this you can't be my sister because I'm attracted to you physical. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's that, it's that continuous bullshit of the patriarchy. Pardon my language, people. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just am so tired of, of men, men giving us value when it's not their place. You don't determine a woman's value. I'm a human being with a vagina by chance (laughs) right I'm just a human being but if I feel like especially as victims we spend our entire life with our physicality the first thing everybody wants to talk about like it you know what I mean like oh I just want to punch him in the face (laughs) (laughs) no you're great and then the other two points were um I have chronic illness none of it that like is affecting other people around me. It's just like things I have to keep in mind every day. Um, but he was like, that's oh. Common. That's very common with incest survivors, by the way. Oh yeah, are- I have IBS, which I've heard is like a common one. Totally <laughs> common. I was born with IBS though, so. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, but like the dad says like, oh, she has chronic illness. So like, she's going to have to rely on you when she's older, um, which is like, not true. Like I'm doing just fine on my own. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you relied on me a bit. <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> and then the third one was like, um, if like things with the family, like they're not going to improve. Like he, he, he told my boyfriend straight up. It's like, 
if she's not close to her family now, she's not gonna be close to her family ever, which I don't know why that it's mattered. Yeah, it's not, it's like, it's one, it's like not your place to say, you don't know my relationship with my family, which like always bothered me. Like they never took the time to talk to me and like, listen. like, it's like, I'm very open with my story. And like, I always kind of like wanted to have that deeper connection to them, but I think they would have responded poorly anyways. Cause I think that they're, they don't have that emotional intelligence. Um, but all that to say that I didn't like to spend the, ho- the holidays with his family. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, so I wanted to spend the um, Thanksgiving with my grandma because I was like, she offered me like the safe space. And so my boyfriend at the time like wanted to come with. So like we asked like, can we spend Thanksgiving with you? And she told me no. <laughs> she told me that by letting me spend Thanksgiving with her that she'd be choosing me over my parents and that she was just getting to have, like she had finally had like a really good relationship with my dad, which I didn't know like that was ever a pain point. And I don't know if it was, I think it's just like growing a relationship with like in-laws is like a difficult thing. So like she didn't wanna potentially hurt that. And she was like, if there's a pecking order, your mom comes first. And so she basically told me that she valued my mom more than she valued me, which I don't know how to feel about that. Like, well, I don't- Because it's a running theme for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, like it, I mean, it's, your needs are never first. Yeah. You know, so hopefully if they get to listen to this, they'll hear that, you know, they'll get to hear, cause they might not be cognizant of it at this point. You know what I mean? Like it's when you're in the middle of all of that, it's hard. Okay for everybody it it's wrong yeah but if you know because yeah yeah sorry Tori I like you so much (laughs) so I kind of like lost my grandma after that it was like okay she can't she can't support me and so stopped having a relationship with her after that and she didn't realize that (laughs) it was really weird we had like this interaction like six months later and she she was like oh you should come visit sometime and I was like but no, <laughs> I tried to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to visit you. <laughs> no. Um, so, and then I s- kept working on my relationship with my parents and like, so we were setting boundaries and stuff. Um, and it was really hard. Cause like they asked me, it's like, Oh, how can we support you? So one of the things is my brother flunked out of college. Um, well, he didn't flunk out. He was about to flunk out and then chose to leave. <laughs> Gracefully, yeah. You're like, I'll bow out before I get kicked out. Yeah. So he was living at home with my family while I was at college. Okay. So that made it hard harder to go home because like I didn't want to go home and have to see him. Um, and so I had been kind of like crossing my own boundaries because he would basically stay in his room when I would come and visit. So I didn't see him, but he was there and just like I knew that he was there and that was like enough to just like make me feel uncomfortable and like I didn't have like an authentic conversation with my parents. Um, And so something that like I asked my parents was like, can I like, can you like request that he would like not be there for like a few hours so that I can have this time with you? And they said that the house was a neutral territory and that they could never ask a child to leave. Um, So that 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 crossed their boundaries. Like their entire- Say that again, say that again, say that sentence again. (laughs) It's important. the house is a neutral territory (laughs) and they couldn't ask my brother to leave 
Right. A child to leave, but yet there's nothing neutral about that home for you. Yeah. They don't get that. I know. (laughs) And that's the thing. That is the thing. That's why that sentence is so important for people listening to hear. It is never neutral for the victim, never neutral for the victim. It is the place that they were raped, molested, touched, violated, and unsafe. Okay. I needed that to be heard again by people because that sentence shows how much your parents and I say that respectfully, don't get it. Yeah. No, there's been many <laughs> points where I realized my parents, because I think for a while, just like with them being in therapy, like I was like, okay, like, I think like we're, we're making progress. They're getting it more. I think they've definitely improved on their understanding of like mental health and working on themselves. But I think like to understand me, like they have to like figure out themselves first. And I think yes. they're still stuck in that. Right. Um, and they're very much stuck in the, how could this have happened? Like, that's a question that they repeat a lot. And like, something that also came up a lot is that they feel like victims, which is fair. Like they didn't ask for this to happen either. Right. Um, but they definitely, they kind of take over conversations and have it kind of centered around how they're also victims because they feel like I don't understand that they're also victims in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, which like, I, I, I can't say that I understand what it's like to be a parent and have this happen. But I also know that I'm also a victim <laughs> and that like, I don't deserve the blame for it either. Not necessarily that they're trying to put blame on me, but. Have you said that to them? Have you been able to say that to them? Yeah, I oh, have. good, good. Um, so the house situation, they weren't able to ask my brother to leave. Um, so I, I worked up the courage. I was like, okay, like it's crossing their boundaries. You know what? I'm not going to let this stop me. So I texted my brother and I was like, can you just like not be at the house for like these two hours on a Friday night? Um, and his response was, ha ha, no, I'll stay in my room, but I'm not leaving. Ooh, that's spoken like a true abuser. At least he stays true to character. He's consistent. Yeah. And so it's just like, I remember being so mad in the moments. It's like, oh, you really don't understand everything that you've done. Um, Oh, sure he does. Sure he does. He's still abusing you through that. I had my brother, my main abuser, and I'm just sharing this with you because this is about you, but he sent me Christmas cards my whole life through my sister. And nobody understood how that was just an extension of his abuse. I never wanted him. I never, I mean, I never, I didn't have contact with him except at my parents' funerals, respectively. And that was a million years ago. But he continued it and continued, like, and it's that extension. It's that I still control what's going on with you. So he now, his parents have allowed him to control the home. Yeah. Mm -mm. I love him. He's awesome. I mean that solely sarcastically. So I actually convinced my parents to, because like he was an adult at that point, so they couldn't like force him into therapy. But I was like, you should, you should get him into therapy. Because like I was really worried that I wasn't the only person that he ever did this with. And like it really weighed on me. Like I, like there was, (laughs) he decided to go back to school for criminal justice. And like, that was like a really hard moment for me. And like, he had like a serious girlfriend that she, that he brought to like holidays with my family. And that was like another, like, it's like, oh, like, 
I don't feel okay with this. Like I felt like a responsibility over like his actions because he abused me. And like, I didn't report him because like when I was living with my parents, like, of course that wasn't an option. And I thought about it numerous times in college. It's like, it's like, I feel like I kind of like owe the world to like report him. Right. But um, I knew that in reporting him that my parents would basically disown me. <laughs> um, so that was like fear number one. And then uh, fear number two, my parents held this over my head a lot is my mom's a teacher. So she's, um, she's, she's supposed to report this stuff. Like she's a government official. She's a mandated reporter. So the fact that she didn't report that this was happening could cost her her job. And so that was constantly held over my head of like, if I talked about it, I could be costing my mom her career which is like another layer to this that just like oh, absolutely responsibility on like the victim's shoulder yep. um and so like at this point I don't know if there's a real point in reporting him it's something that I I've started considering again now that I have um now that I'm separated from my parents which I guess we haven't even got to that point in the story right we might have to <laughs> say that part for the next one um but no it's true and what's the statute of limitations in your your area I'm not sure I need to look because that's another thing I'm working on or in and that will take quite a while is extending the statute of limitations because I think in most states it's seven years I think and that's just not long enough not with this this is not it's not at all long enough to with and just listening to your story (laughs) it's a mess it's a mess so you didn't get to go home for holidays. Mm-hmm. I still haven't. Um, I ended up going home for um, one Christmas Eve that my brother, like I was able to find out that he wasn't going to um, because uh, my aunt has breast cancer. And so it was really important for me to be there because we don't know how many holidays she has left. Um, and just like, I've missed out on so many things already at this point that I was just like, I, I need to be there. Um, and so effectively my aunt's kind of the only family I have left at this point. Um, cause I, I made the decision to, that like, m- this is my story. Like I should own the rights to my, to my story, which was something that I didn't have for a long time. That's something I came to the conclusion of this spring. And I had this fear. It's like, my parents are going to disown me. Like, and I was like, is that a rational fear? Like, is that actually going to happen? And I was like, I owe it to myself to live my best life. And like, if telling my story is going to get me from surviving to thriving, like I should be, I should be telling my story instead of like living in fear. So I decided that I was going to start telling my story. And that's actually how the shaming kind of entered my life a little bit. Um, Cause I found you, uh, I think it was like February of this year. And a few months after that, I think you posted about like people sharing their stories or something. And like, you have like the hashtag, like be brave with me. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and so like, I remember being, I, I was forced to go home and live with my parents because of COVID. Um, Cause everyone got kicked off of Georgia Tech's campus, which was, oh, not fun. But my brother, thankfully he moved out in January. So I didn't, Yay! or else I would have, I would have figured something else out. Yeah. Um, but I was living at home with them, which was very traumatic. <laughs> Um, my PTSD came back. <laughs> oh. um, but I remember being on a walk with my mom and I was like, I really like 
this like Instagram account, like it's just like brought so much, like I, I feel heard, I feel seen. It's like, I really want to share my story. Like this would mean the world to me. Um, I didn't even ask her for her approval. Cause I was like, I'm not going to ask for approval anymore. Like it's my story. Um, but she told me that she really wants to support me, but that she couldn't. That like, it just like, it was too much for her that she could not support me in doing that. And so like, that was a bit heartbreaking to me. And I ended up- oh, um, devastating. <laughs> yeah. I ended up moving out of my parents' place on Mother's Day, just like, mm -hmm. because my brother came um, and surprised her for Mother's Day. And like, I worked up the courage. I was in my room and I heard him enter the house and I was like, <gasps> like, oh my goodness, like my brother's here. I haven't seen him in like a year, maybe two years. I was like, I don't, I don't want to see him and talk to him, but like, this is crossing my boundary and I, I'll be damned if I'm just like in my room crying about it. Preach, like, girl. Yes. I'm going to advocate for myself. So I go downstairs, my parents, my brother, they're in our living room, the room that we've had all these conversations over the years. And hmm. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to say something. And so I'm like, I don't know if anyone else feels uncomfortable, but I do. And they just like, look at me like I have 10 heads. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like if they're agreeing with me that it's uncomfortable or like, but they weren't uncomfortable and it's just me that feels uncomfortable. But I'm like, I like need to know when you're coming beforehand. Like, because like, that's just like, it crosses my boundary. Like I, I need to know. Yes. Um, and so he was just like, okay, whatever. And that was, that was the entire response I got. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I like went to my room and just like cried because like that took so much out of me to be able to do that. That is amazing though, Tori. That is badass. <laughs> you stood up in front of all three of them and said that. That is badass. Uh, I would not have done that at 21. I would not have done that. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you. Um, so anyways, he ended up leaving a few minutes later and I felt bad about that. Cause like I told him, it's like, you should stay, have like fun with like our parents. Like, cause like you should have that connection with that. Like I, while I don't want to have a relationship with you, your relationship with my parents is separate. And like, you guys should have a good relationship cause that's important. Um, and so like, I was just like planning on being in my room and just like meditating, breathing through it, all that good stuff. <laughs> Namaste. Um, Namaste. <laughs> anyways he leaves and like my mom comes up to my room she's like oh my god like I'm so sorry because like she she understood that that was bad um and I was like yes she understands but then like a few seconds later because like I I felt safe enough at that point when she's like had that recognition of it being bad to voice like it's like oh yes I was like really frustrated that he came like it crossed like my boundaries and um and then she basically defended him um and that's been a really hard thing that's like popped up numerous times so I remember my brother and I actually had a therapist appointment together once in our life yeah um it was the end of my freshman year um, it was right as I was transitioning therapist. So we actually went to his therapist for the appointment, which I fully regret. Oh yeah. Um, but in it, he, he did apologize, but he apologized. The reason I don't count it as an apology is because he says that he apologized, but doesn't remember doing anything because of all the drugs that he did in high school. And so I do not accept that as a real apology. 
No, but that's a typical abuser response. My all of my abusers say that they don't remember any of it. <laughs> Selective amnesia is what I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> so one day he'll probably remember and have to deal with it. Um, but that day has not come yet. Um, but anyways, I remember my mom actually drove me back to tech after that appointment. And my parents were just like, any time that there was a sign that we could be a family unit again, they would just be so excited. And it's like all my boundaries kind of like disappeared or like for them. Yeah. And I remember on that car ride back, she was like, yeah, he was really suicidal for a while. And just like telling me like all the reasons why I should be sympathetic for him pretty much. And, oh, I was, I was live like everything inside my being just at that moment was like, I want to get out of this car and just like scream. Like, yep. I was just like, I can't like any progress that was made in that therapy appointment, which wasn't any, <laughs> right. Um, we, we did many, many steps backwards after that. Just from my mom's commentary in the car, because I'm like, wow, but like, I was suicidal, like my entire childhood. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think what I, what if, because I'm on the outside, I think what your mom was trying to say poorly is that <laughs> he really is sorry. And so are we, even though we can tell that your brother really isn't sorry. <laughs> his actions toward you, right? Like he doesn't. I don't know him, but it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of regret. There's a whole lot of deflecting. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And, and denial. And I did it. I'm sorry, but I did it because of this. Mm -hmm. Where I, I truly think your parents are really sorry. Yeah. And no, I, you're just trying to weave all that. And sadly, per usual for incest survivors, abuse survivors, it, it falls on us to be the patient ones to be the ones that bring it back together. And I don't think they recognize it in that moment. What they're saying to you is, and what you're hearing is, it's really okay what he did to you because <laughs> of this. You know what I mean? And, and it's, yeah, it's, that's a sucky thing to hear as a child. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You're always going to be their child. Yeah. Your reaction is always going to be that. It's never going to, it's not like you're an outside person talking to your mom about something that happened to you. Your perception of her words would be different, but because she's your mom, yeah. like it's a whole different thing. It's a different creature for you. And so hopefully I feel like, and I'm saying this because I, I, I want people to understand that you really can heal from this. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, and families can heal, but boundaries have to be respected. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part for yeah. you is you're going to continuously have to keep those boundaries. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. in check <laughs> until they really get it and they will, you know, and I think, cause I did the same thing with, with some of my family members. I just completely had to disconnect. And I think that that is a good thing. I mean, there are some of them I don't ever want to see again. And I will probably be super thrilled when they're no longer walking this earth. Um, <laughs> that's a myth. That's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty intense, but I gotta say, like, you know, he's 
not a nice guy. Um, but I think that I, there's been a ton of healing in just in mind. And the fact that you're 21. And <laughs> no, you I don't know. You, well, and that you've done all this work. Tori, that's badass. No. I mean, it really is, sweetie. I mean that wholeheartedly. And I didn't mean that, sweetie. I hate it when people say that as a <laughs> condescension. But, you know, I'm old enough to be your mama. So <laughs> I just, I'm proud of you. Aww. That's a lot to do. And, and I mean, that's, and the fact that you just said, yep, I'll be on your podcast. Yep, I'll say my name. Yes, I'll tell my story. It gives me goosebumps. Like, I mean, it is the definition of hashtag be brave with me. It is, and I'm proud. I am proud of every person who checks in on the Instagram page. I'm proud of the people who who lurch and don't follow. It incest is difficult. It is hard. It, there's not one single way to heal. There's not one single right path. There is nothing linear about this creature. And so I'm proud of everybody who is, I want to say this out loud to people listening. I'm proud of people who listen and don't follow the podcast. I'm grateful anybody is even thinking of the word incest abuse in their head and, and the tiniest steps, because it took me a long time to get here. I wasn't in, I was in my late thirties before I got to, you know, fuck my family. (laughs) you know and I had to get to that point to revive what I could have except for my sister my older sister my entire life has and I know she's going to listen to this and this is (laughs) this is a love note to her she's been a consistent thread of love and patience and kindness and healing for me consistently my since I was born she has been that for me yeah, she's pretty badass. So I needed to add that because I want people to know yeah. that even though what you're going through is super shitty, I promise you in about two years. Oh, not two years. You haven't heard the rest of the story. Oh, no, no. What is it? What is it? I just want to quickly add uh, just like a note of wisdom that I've carried with myself that's been important, I think, through being able to love my parents and also at the same time be able to give myself the like ability to validate my feelings because I feel like it's been really hard to love them and also understand what they've done and how they've played into my abuse in my life um is I had a psychologist my first freshman year of college and he he told me you will always love and hate your parents at the same time and I never understood how I'd be able to do that. But like, it just makes more and more sense every year. I think you can really, and I think that goes into understanding the good and bad in every person. Yeah. It's like, I, I never want it to feel like I'm blaming my parents or hating on my parents. Like that was like my kind of like my fear coming on the podcast is that people would be like, wow, she's just so ungrateful. And I don't know if any other parents would have really done much better. Like I'm sure there would be parents that did better in the situation, like given a large enough sample size, but it's such a terrible thing that it's, it's hard for anyone to deal with. And so I don't fault my parents for not having those skills. I love that. Okay. Quickly tell us 
<laughs> I know. I wish we could do like I wish we could do like a four-hour podcast, but I really think people are going to cut us off. Um, tell us where you are now and briefly, <laughs> with your family and where you are, like a synopsis briefly, and then we're going to do the the wrap-up five questions. Sorry that I kept rambling with the story. No, you're not. Ra- there's no no no. There's no rambling going on here. It's a it's a big topic, and we'll do we'll do more. I'm I'm positive we're going to have you back but I, well and, but I have to keep it to a certain amount of time or people will just won't listen to your story they just won't they'll cut it you know I mean it's just human nature like we get uh, you know what I mean like we have short attention spans as creatures and I don't edit these just for anybody listening I don't edit these I don't go back and listen to them I just post them because I I want these to be organic conversations okay so briefly okay. go so moved out Mother's Day of this year, was living on my own, um, and had that feeling. It's like, oh, I have the rights to my narrative for once in my life. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to do what feels right for Tori. Um, so I basically, I told my aunt, that's when I finally told her that, like, this happened. And she had the most wonderful response. It was, oh, incredible. Um, but I made sure to leave my parents' component out of it, because I she has a relationship with them too. Um, right. I text my parents afterwards. Cause like, I didn't want to ask for their, for their like blessing to tell her because it's, it's my story. Exactly. Um, but I wanted them to know that she now knows. Cause it's kind of awkward to, for them not to know that. Right. So I let them know. Um, along with my brother, I also texted him, letting him know too. Nice. Um, and radio silence uh I think my mom might have like said like I'm glad you did what's best for you and so like power to her um I didn't hear from my parents for about a week um and so fourth of July comes and my parents are always really big on like they'll send me a gif for whatever holiday like as soon as they wake up so like it's like 6 p.m and I haven't heard anything from them I'm like this is like really uncharacteristic um and so I messaged them happy fourth of July and my mom sends a gif back, but like I hear nothing from my dad, um, which was just like wild. And so then I text my mom about it and she's like responding in three or less words to me, which has never happened. My mom's like a paragraph texter. And I'm just like, yeah, it's like my dad not responding to me. Like that's happened before. I'm like, okay, that's normal. Like dealing with emotions will get through this. My mom responding like that. I was like, ooh, like this is, this is bad. Um, and so I get... Another week goes by and I'm hanging out with a, like a few friends and I get a text from my dad and I'm like really shocked. It's like, oh, my dad's texting me and basically said that him and my mom talked to their therapist and that they've given me their patience, their support and love. But at this point, that they can't have a healthy relationship with me if I continue like to talk about my sex, sexual assault um, and that they can't discuss that topic any further or discuss that boundary, like having that boundary in place. Um, and so at that moment, I was just like heartbroken because there's no way for me to be able to have a relationship with them where we can't talk about the sexual assault because like, even if we don't talk about it in terms of trying to improve our relationship, like 
that doesn't change the logistics. Like there's going to be logistical issues of me wanting to be at holidays, but not being able to, because I don't want to continue to re-victimize myself and my brother's presence. Right. Um, so there was no, I thought about it. I was like, there's just no way for me to have a relationship with them at this point. So I ended up texting. It's like, Hey, like, can we meet up? Like, I won't cross your boundary of like not talking about it, but like, we need to talk. <laughs> and so I told them like, with your new boundary in place, like I, I went, I went back home, sat in the living room, told them with this new boundary, I can't have a relationship with you. And I like gave them the SIM card back from my phone. I gave them my emergency credit cards. My dad told me to leave the house key behind, like all of that. Um, And so I've been financially independent from them ever since, um, which has been really stressful. (laughs) I can imagine. Um, Wow. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's, it's okay. I think everyone can only handle so much with this. Um, I think it really, because like their entire position has always been like, we want to be neutral. We never want to pick a child. And like my dad even compared it to Sophie's Choice, if you've seen that movie. Really? Which I recently watched that movie. And oh, the fact that there's a boy and a girl and that Sophie chooses the boy, ooh, did not sit well. (laughs) Right, I mean. I was like, Sophie did make a choice though. (laughs) Right, thank you. Uh, But yeah, they they just aren't at a place where they can emotionally deal with it, which I wish that I could be able to step away from it like that. Um, but because I'm the victim, I can't, you know. Right, they, they have I, the luxury. They have the privilege of being able to step away from it. And yeah. that means I'm not in their life. Well, so. I think you're badass. <laughs> and I think you have done the most amazing thing for yourself to be able to heal. And that's the most important thing for when you go on to have your family, that you're not going to carry this into yours. It's not going to happen. I mean, which is exactly what the de-shaming is all about. And you are just the most adorably cute, beautiful inside and out woman. I think I've encountered in a very long time and I encounter a lot of badass chicks (laughs) so I I couldn't be more grateful to you for your bravery so one of the things because I don't want I talked to you about this earlier I really think it's important that as survivors of this that it's not all doom and gloom right yeah because we've had enough of that in our life (laughs) Mm -hmm. so one of the things that I've been working on practicing and it's where the hashtag comes from. I don't know if you've seen it. The, your shame does not belong to me. Mm-hmm. That's oh. the whole, it was the whole thing about the de-shaming was I really want survivors to look in the mirror and, and visualize your abuser and say, your shame doesn't belong to me. I didn't do anything wrong. You take it back. It's yours. And practice that on a daily basis. And so that's the de-shaming. And it manifests itself in so many different ways things that we can do and your whole life right now is a manifestation of de-shaming yourself it's beautiful <laughs> but we're going to end on a really fun note right so I've got five questions like David Letterman who I think is hilarious <laughs> and this is my friend um, Elizabeth came up with this idea so kudos to Elizabeth for coming up with this but top five questions 
First one, what's your favorite music to help you cope? Favorite music to help me cope? I think, okay, so I love to go running because like that's like where I get my anger out. (laughs) And so like the music I really like to listen to is like really good running music to like help me because I've always struggled to feel like anger. Yeah. Um, So like more of like kind of almost like club music because it has like really good like keeps you on like a fast pace yeah i love that okay so we're gonna go with club music um what's your favorite activity to get out of the flashback headspace (laughs) oh okay so i specifically do this thing when i have flashbacks like to ground myself where i tap my wrists and i think that's like a pretty common approach yeah which is like and I revert like which wrist I do. And I'll sometimes do interesting patterns just so that my brain's just thinking about me tapping my wrists. Oh, I love that. That's a good one. Um, first person you call when you can't get out of that headspace with the music or the tap, the wrist tapping. First person I'd call is, ooh, I don't know if, I think you've called them pivotal people before. Yeah. I have this pivotal person. Her name is Katie I love her so much. Like as soon as like I saw her, I was like, we're going to be best friends. And like, we just like instantly had that like emotional depth to our friendship. Oh, she is such a light in my life. She's one of your people. Mm -hmm. She's my people. Katie. We love you, Katie. Okay. (laughs) Um, And the next one is what's your favorite go-to meal to feel empowered? I don't know if this counts as a full meal, but I love edamame. There's something so snackable about it, but then you don't feel bad about snacking on it. And she's exactly. like, I like the whole pop and I'm out of the pot. It's so much fun. Super happy. <laughs> okay. And the last one, what's your favorite go-to color that you want around you when you need to feel comforted? Ooh, I really like, it's actually the color of my car. I drive a green Fiat. <laughs> it's like that retro green like it's just like really soothing um but like not like some shades of it like makes me think of hospital so it has to be like the right shade of like that green where it's yeah I know I think I know what you're talking about yeah (laughs) and green is the color of healing and rebirth and abundance I love green (laughs) it's one of my favorite colors in the universe that and I'm on an orange kick right now I know all right, I would talk to you for 12 hours because you're that amazing. Aww. And I'm so grateful that you've been on this, Tori. This means the absolute world to me. I'm you're you just the world to me. <laughs> um, so I want to thank everybody who tuned in and listened. I we really hope that this is gonna help you on your path to de-shaming. And remember, if you are struggling, you can reach out to the crisis text line. You can reach out to one of the NAMIs, which is the, or NAMI, I'm, I'm not sure how to say it, but the National Organization of Mental Health. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization. There's also um, RAIN, the Rape and Incest Abuse Network. All of those links are on the de-shaming webpage. They are also, I follow all of them on the de-shaming Instagram. And as always, if you need to reach me, you can reach me at iamdshaming at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Tori. I love you. I think you're, you're my new favorite person in the universe. And we will see you guys soon. Yes. <laughs>